Welcome to the Russian Rulers Podcast, Episode 54, Napoleon versus Alexander. Last week, Alexander started his reign with all good intentions of enacting numerous liberal reforms, including freeing the over 50 million serfs, but instead had the guts to only free a few and only change the onerous laws his father Paul I had created. He now had to face a bigger and fiercer threat, the Grand Armée of Napoleon Bonaparte. When we left Alexander, he was in Berlin trying to get the Prussians involved in the war effort, but he was unable to convince them to help out. The lead general of the Russian army, a very capable man, Marshal Kutuzov, wanted to pull back and join up with the Austrians to present an army of 175,000 to Napoleon. Unfortunately, Emperor Alexander took control of the army, and despite desperate pleas to pull back, he decided to attack with 40,000 troops, with 46,000 in reserve against Napoleon's crack army of 70,000. Siding with the Russians were the forces of the Austrians, led by Francis II. The battle near the town of Austerlitz was a complete Russian-Austrian disaster. Starting at 7 a.m. on December 2nd, Alexander I sent the first 50,000 troops in. By 10 a.m., Napoleon's troops had seized the advantage, and by 4 in the afternoon, the rout was on. Alexander, with a small entourage, escaped not finding his army for days while being chased. Estimates lay the Russian dead at between fifteen to 25,000, with the French sending out messages asking for peace, which Alexander refused to even consider. The Austrian emperor, Francis II, saw no need to continue and sued for peace. Before Alexander could even make it back to St. Petersburg, the Prussian king, Frederick William III, signed a peace treaty with Napoleon as well. The people of Russia were convinced that they had fought bravely but, and would have won the day, but were undermined by the weak and cowardly Austrians. The Austrians' defeat also meant the end of the 800-plus-year-old Holy Roman Empire, once ruled by Charlemagne. Knowing that the Prussians had signed a peace treaty, Alexander still kept trying to ask them to form an alliance, convinced that it could defeat Napoleon once and for all. They decided to jump in with the Russians. The Prussians put together an army of 115,000, which concerned Napoleon, but starting on October 6, 1806 until the 14th, the ineffectively led Prussian army was routed by the French and their allies at the battles of Jena, Austerstadt, and Friedland, or Auerstadt, excuse me. Marshal Devaux, a brilliant French general, entered Berlin on October 24th. While occupying the city, a series of love letters from Alexander to Queen Louise of Prussia were found and published to further humiliate the Tsar. By December of 1806, a combined Russian-Prussian force of 115,000, led by General Benningsen, one of the conspirators in Paul I's murder, attacked the French near Warsaw, Poland, with no clear winner. 
On February 8, 1807, in a raging snowstorm, they met again at Eilau. Again, stalemate. Both armies exhausted, headed for winter quarters. June came, and a new battle plan was drawn up by Benningsen to entrap the French in a pincer maneuver on June 4th. But due to poor communications, only one side attacked, led by Russian General Lestock, but he was easily beaten by another of Napoleon's brilliant generals, Jean-Baptiste Bernadot. Napoleon was now on the offensive. Now, as an aside, uh, The History According to Bob, another great podcast, which I recommend anybody interested in history listen to, is doing a series on Napoleon and has really more in-depth uh, information about these battles of Jena, Auerstadt, Friedland, uh, this one maneuver that Lestock was trying with uh, Benningson. Uh, excellent series on Napoleon. I really recommend everybody. History According to Bob. Back to our podcast. On June 14th, it was supposed to be the turning point of the war at the Battle of Friedland. But instead of the Russians winning, the French routed the Russian army, killing 15,000 and capturing another 15,000. The French side suffered minor losses at 1,400 dead with only 10,000 wounded. Alexander knew the jig was up and called on Napoleon to sign a truce. The French emperor agreed as his army was tired and far from home, but he wanted to meet the Russian Tsar in person. The two met on a raft on the Niemen River near the Russian border at the city of Tilsit. When offered the Grand Cross of the Legion of Honor, Alexander said he just could not accept it as he was the defeated one, whereby Napoleon is said to have replied that being defeated by him was, quote, almost equal to victory. The Treaty of Tilsit was a very unpopular one in St. Petersburg, especially by the merchants, as it forbade trade with Great Britain, which accounted for one half of all Russian exports. Alexander's mother Maria berated the Tsar, while his wife Elizabeth thought that her husband had been hypnotized into submission. For his part, Alexander took the next five years to rebuild his army and to look into reforming Russia. The man he turned to was Mikhail Speransky. A trusted confidant, Speransky was first made Minister of Justice and then the State Secretary. He was asked by Emperor Alexander to draft a new constitution for Russia. In it, Speransky called for elections, the abolition of serfdom, a national legislative body called the Duma, and a number of civil reforms. It was the liberal change that Alexander always talked about. But, as always, talk was cheap. Too many powerful enemies of Speransky came out of the woodwork, and they passed rumors that he was a paid spy for Napoleon, which Alexander knew was not true. But, with all the pressure, by March 1812, Speransky was sent into exile, in Nizhny Novgorod. The Austrians in 1809, seeing the morass that Napoleon was in, fighting the British in Spain and Portugal, decided to rise up with an army of 200,000 raw recruits. Alexander, though, he was in a pickle as he signed a second treaty with Napoleon, 
that said he would attack Austria if they rose up, but he really had no stomach to attack his former allies. The Tsar sent an army of 60,000 into the Duchy of Warsaw, but he took great strides to avoid fighting the Austrians. Instead, he kind of went after the Poles led by Prince Poniatowski. The fighting was kind of meek, as Poniatowski claimed that Russian losses amounted to, quote, two Cossacks killed, two officers wounded, one of the accidentally as a result of a, result of a drunken brawl. Napoleon, who was furious, claimed that r more Russians died in, quote, one of your peasant weddings than in the entire campaign in Galicia. Because of this, Napoleon rewarded the Poles additional land in Galicia, much to the dismay of Alexander. Because of the economic hardships caused by the Treaty of Tilsit, the Russians began to resume trade with the British, which further infuriated Napoleon. Then an opening to peace came when the French emperor divorced his wife Josephine, who remained childless during their marriage. Napoleon sent an offer to marry Alexander's sister Anne. The Tsar said, yeah, that would work if Napoleon just gave Russia all of Poland. The Frenchman, just awed at the audacity of Alexander, rebuffed the offer and began his plans for the invasion of Russia. Russia knew that an invasion was inevitable, so they began to secure their southern and northern borders. First, they signed a peace treaty with Sweden in April of 1812, and followed that with a treaty with Turkey in June. Alexander was putting together a grand armée of his own, numbering over 450,000. But Napoleon's army was far larger, estimated at over 740,000 men of which only 200,000 were French. This created a logistical nightmare that was to haunt Napoleon. The invasion started on May 24, 1812, when the French army crossed the Niemen River near Kovno. One lone Cossack officer saw the crossing and headed towards the 130,000-man Russian army sent to defend the frontier. The first town to fall two days later was the Lithuanian capital of Vilna, which fell without a shot being fired. On June 27th, the 113th anniversary of Peter the Great's victory over the Swedes at Poltava, Alexander exhorted his people to defend the homeland in a patriotic war, the same war they were to fight against Hitler and the German army 129 years later. 1709, 1812, and 1941 were three grand invasions that helped to define Russian patriotism. A French officer sent by Napoleon to try to put together a peace treaty was legendarily shown a map of Russia by the Tsar, according to Duffy and Ricci in their book Tsars. Pointing to the Kamchatka Peninsula on the eastern edge of Siberia, Alexander told the Frenchman, quote, The Emperor Napoleon will have to pursue me as far as this to obtain peace. Alexander became a man that day. Soviet historians, in their incessant rewriting of history, claim that Alexander incorporated a scorched earth policy. But truth be told, this did not really happen. 
Instead, the land of Russia was barren enough to cause supply problems for the French troops. For me, I have a really hard time understanding how a great general like Napoleon could have expected to succeed in his invasion of Russia until I learned that this Napoleon was not the same man as the one who defeated the rest of Europe. He was no longer the svelte, energetic man of old. He was now fat, out of shape, and lethargic. Napoleon thought he could win the fight because of his reputation alone, and that Alexander would fold because of the sheer force in front of him. Since the two met, Napoleon had a poor view of his adversary. Hitler would make the same idiotic mistake in 1941. As the Grand Armée moved forward, Cossack horsemen harassed them. The French continued inland, trying hard to induce the Russians to give battle. Prince Barclay de Tolly, head of the retreating Russian army, kept moving eastward, drawing in the French and their allies. But each day, more and more of those Allied troops abandoned their army comrades. Each day, more and more artillery horses died, forcing cannons to be abandoned and left behind. Foraging parties were, for the most case, unsuccessful in bringing back food, with the Cossacks harassing them every step of the way. The Russians in St. Petersburg were aghast when they heard that Napoleon was closing in on Moscow. Seventy-four miles west of Moscow, General Kutuzov, the commander-in-chief, decided to make a stand in the town of Borodino. Equally manned armies of over 120,000 stood opposite each other on September 7, 1812. 45,000 Russian soldiers, along with 23 generals, died that day. The Grand Armée lost 30,000, along with 47 generals. This was a terrible blow to Napoleon, as Alexander could afford to send more troops in easily. Napoleon couldn't. Kutuzov retreated toward Moscow, but knew he couldn't defend it. He had the majority of the people evacuate, leaving the poorest behind, and he opened the prisons, granting amnesty to whoever would stay and burn the city to the ground. Napoleon could not believe that the Russians would burn their old capital, but he took the city anyway, believing that Alexander had to come to a sentence, his senses and accept a peace treaty. The Dowager Maria, along with his brother Constantine, begged the Tsar to sue for peace, but Alexander steadfastly refused. Moscow was proving to be a horribly inhospitable place for the Grand Armée, as there was little food to be found, and the occupying forces were now being forced to eat the horses for food. And then came the weather. Napoleon was sitting in the Kremlin as September turned to October, puzzled by the lack of response from Alexander. The Tsar was feeling pressure from his inner circle, growing louder and louder each day. Yet, he stood his ground. The people could not understand the lack of armed response, and they too became more and more disenchanted with their leader. Yet, he stood his ground. 
On October 17th, Napoleon sent another message to St. Petersburg asking for a truce. Alexander would not even send a reply, but he sent his message to his army. Quote, Either Napoleon or me, we can no longer rule together. Now is the time that the Russian people would drive the invaders from their homeland, just as they did with the Swedes, and just as they did to the Mongol horde in the past. On October 19, 1812, Napoleon began the retreat out of Moscow, heading southwest towards Smolensk. Next week, we recount the rout of the French army and Alexander's rise to the head of European politics. Now, for this week in Russian history, for the week of June 26th through July 2nd. In 1175, Andrei Bogolyubsky, Russian prince, died. In 1709, Peter the Great defeated Charles XII of Sweden at the Battle of Poltava. In 1718, Tsarevich Alexei Petrovich of Russia, Peter the Great's son, mysteriously dies after being sentenced to death by his father, father for plotting against him. In 1723, after a siege and bombardment by cannon, Baku surrenders to the Russians. In 1807, in the Russo-Turkish War, Admiral Dmitry Senyavin destroys the Ottoman fleet in the Battle of Athos. In 1853, the Russian army crossed the Pruth River into the Danubian principalities, Moldavia and Wallachia, providing the spark that sets off the Crimean War. In 1899, Grand Duchess Maria Nikolaevna of Russia, third daughter of Tsar Nicholas II, was born. In 1905, sailors start a mutiny aboard the battleship Potemkin, denouncing the crimes of autocracy, demanding liberty, and an end to war. In 1953, the cruel head of the secret police, Lavrenti Beria, is arrested by Nikita Khrushchev and other members of the Politburo. In 1974, Mikhail Baryshnikov defects from the Soviet Union to Canada while on tour with the Bolshoi Ballet. And in 1989, Andrei Gromyko, Soviet politician, died. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. I'd really like to thank all the listeners who send me condolences on the passing of my father. It was deeply appreciated. Don't forget to visit the ever-growing Facebook community at Russian Rulers History Podcast. Please stop by and join the conversations. Ask a question. Make a suggestion. And as always, до свидания и спасибо большое.